You are listening to the sermon podcast from St. Michael and All Angels Church in Savannah. We are an Episcopal congregation in the Diocese of Georgia, and you can find out more about us by visiting www.stmichaelsavannah.com. So we do things a little differently on Palm Sunday. Um, I am firmly convinced that you should never have a sermon after the reading of the Passion Gospel, uh, because honestly, after you read that, what else are you going to say? Um, <clears throat> the Passion Gospel, in my mind, really should just be followed by a period of quiet. Sort of let the, the words sink in uh, before we get in a rush to do anything else. But the rubrics of the prayer book do not allow us to have Eucharist on Sunday without a sermon. I know you're disappointed by that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what I do on Palm Sunday is to do it before the gospel. Um, so after this little very brief homily, um, we will sing hymn 158. Then we will have the reading of the Passion Gospel. And when that's over, we're just all going to sit down for a moment and simply be quiet before we go on with the service. Now, as a look out in the room today, I, I was, well, as I said at 8 o'clock, we have some old Episcopalians. We have some experienced Episcopalians in this service. Uh, those of you who've been a member of the Episcopal Church for a long time, and you may remember that there used to be a time, anybody remember this, where last Sunday was Passion Sunday? And this Sunday was just Palm Sunday. Y'all, y'all remember that? Some of us newer Episcopalians never saw a church like that. Uh, but there was a time where on this Sunday the whole service was about the palms, about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Um, there, there's been a lot of shifting around in the lectionary over the last few decades as the churches tried to figure out how to express uh, that movement from Jesus entering into Jerusalem in triumph to what happens on Good Friday. What they've come up with of late is to do both on this day. Uh, we start with Palm Sunday, but by this point, we've now turned into the Sunday of the Passion. I'm actually kind of glad that they do it that way. Um, I think that we need both. Um, because... The fact is, we are a part of both of those crowds. The one that gathers and prays and triumph as Jesus makes his way triumphantly into Jerusalem, but then also the one that gathers on Friday in front of Pontius Pilate, calling for blood. There's a curious thing that happens in the words and the voices of the crowds this week. And that's what I want to ask you to think about today as we start reading the Passion Gospel. And maybe for the rest of the week, as we make our way through this week with Jesus on the way to Gethsemane and to the cross and to the tomb. We start, um, as we did this morning, with the Liturgy of the Palms, where the crowd shouts, Hosanna. Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. It is an acclamation of praise. 
of rejoicing, of exultation, and of triumph as the crowd greets this man that they hail as their king. But there's an irony to that shout of praise, Hosanna, because what it really means is come and save us. Help us. That irony kind of carries through, and we're going to see it in the, in the Passion Gospel in just, in just a moment. When, when Jesus stands before the crowds and Pontius Pilate brings him out in front of this angry mob, um, he says, what would you have me do with the king of the Jews? And they say, we say, let him be crucified. And for good measure, we say it again, a little louder the second time. Let him be crucified. Uh, it, it, it's a shout for blood, for violence, for murder. But at the same time, throughout his whole ministry, he's been explaining to people that this is what it means for him to be the Son of God. This is what it means for him to be the Messiah, that he must be crucified. And all along the way, Peter and everybody else have tried to say, oh no, God forbid, that should never ever happen to you. But finally, at last, they say, okay, let him be crucified. In some ways, it is a final acquiescence to what appears to be God's will for Jesus and for us. For this terrible thing to go forward. And so in some ways, that shout, let him be crucified, is just a strange echo of the first one. Come and save us. Pilate says, well, I'm innocent of this man's blood. Ah, this is all on you. And they, we say, okay, fine. Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Again, it's a... It's a cry for blood and violence. Fine. We don't care what the consequences are. You don't want to do it? We will. But underneath those words are the words of the story of the Exodus in Egypt. Because you remember it's the blood splattered on the doorposts, on the houses, on the children of Israel that protects them through that first Passover. And when we come to the book of Revelation, we talk about all of the saints raised in glory whose robes have been washed white in the blood of the Lamb. So as the crowd shouts for its blood to be upon them and upon their children, there is underneath once again that same cry. Come and save us. Save us through the blood of the Lamb. So what I want to ask you to think about today and for the rest of the week as we lead up to to next Sunday is if you were standing on the side of the road on either of those days long, long ago when Jesus passes by and you had one thing to call out, what would that be? What would you say? 
personally, there are lots of things rolling around in my head that I, I think I would say I might have trouble choosing just one. But today and this week is our chance to stand there by the side of the road, whether it is the triumphant king riding into town on branches of palms or a beaten and battered Messiah dragging his cross to Calvary. When he passes by us, what will our cry to him be?